Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Azigari. And today we are going to talk about The China Syndrome from 1979. Received four nominations at the 52nd Academy Awards. We've been to this ceremony once before, long, long time ago. Episode 25 was our first ever, first ever Best Picture Showdown, um, you know, featuring, you know, Kramer vs. Kramer and all that jazz and uh, Norma Ray breaking away um, and Apocalypse Now. So pretty, pretty, pretty damn good year here. Uh, the China Syndrome was not up for Best Picture, but it did do some damage as far as nominations go. You got you got all that jazz with nine, Apocalypse Now with eight, Kramer's Kramer with eight, Breaking Away with five, The China Syndrome, Norma Ray, and The Rose all with four. It was a pretty, pretty cool year. You know, these 70s um, ceremonies typically deliver as far as quality goes. Uh, so with that being said, uh, we do have some kind of like bittersweet news, I guess, that this is the last official Oscar Sunday that we're ever going to do. Uh, pretty random to end it on the China Syndrome. Uh, I do love this movie. I chose it because um, I wanted to show it to Connor, but also just because I wanted to revisit it myself and have a chance to talk about it. I watched it a long time ago, probably two years ago um, on the Criterion channel. They did this big Jane Fonda collection. And, you know, I watched, uh, you know, like China Syndrome the morning after Clue, you know, just a, just a, you know, a random collection of her stuff. And I, I fell in love with her as a performer for sure. And now she's probably my favorite actress from this era, from like the 70s, 80s. Uh, you know, I, I recently, maybe a few months ago, watched Nine to Five. She's fucking excellent in that. You know, uh, we, we did uh, Coming Home on this on this show not that long ago. She's excellent in that. I've never been disappointed by her. Uh, and she's great in the China Syndrome. So is Jack Lemmon. So is Michael Douglas. Uh, you know, this is, this is a solid movie. Uh, I think I like it more than you do, but I, I, I do. I, I am curious to hear your thoughts, you know, um, on this. You bought it. You have it on Blu-ray. So uh, it's not available to stream anywhere, but you bought it. You let me borrow it. And we, you know, here we are uh, talking about the China Syndrome. Yeah, I just stumbled upon this at a half price books for like six bucks. And I knew we were doing it on the show. So I picked it up and I'm glad I did that. Uh, even though we are, you know, saying goodbye to this particular podcast, we are, you know, I'm going to keep doing that. Um, the China Syndrome, I think I wanted it to be a little bit more of a disaster film. I was hoping for more, something more in line with like the towering Inferno. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's again, just me with like, you know, larger than life expectations with certain films that's a problem i have and i always find that on like a second or third watch if i've managed those expectations and i know what the film is i always have a much better experience and i didn't hate it i it's a for me a solid seven uh the performances are great it's a good story and i love the whole you know 70s paranoia subgenre we keep stumbling into on this show it's, yes those are great I, I love that the real life implications of this movie, which led to, you know, the nuclear industry trying to get it banned. And then like a week later, the three mile island incident happened. Yeah. And everyone was like, oh, so nuclear power is actually incredibly unsafe and, un and not stable with the slightest. Great. Good to know that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I think this is still going to be a, a good movie. I love that this has taken us back to our first best picture showdown ceremony. Like, yeah. 
there's so many weird little moments of like nostalgia that have happened regarding this particular episode. I'm excited to get into those more with the other films that I watched for the prep. It kept happening and I was like, this is weird. Uh, but yeah, this is going to be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, to explain more, just kind of where we're at with the, with Oscar Sunday, we're, we're going to basically nuke everything that we've been doing, you know, um, Oscar Sunday, as we know it, is, is this is it. This is the last proper Oscar Sunday. It doesn't mean we won't ever do an Oscar-related episode again or uh, kind of take the formula of what we're doing here to other episodes. Like, that's we're, we're going to continue podcasting. That's not stopping, you know. Uh, we feel like, you know, between Oscar Sunday, Beyond the Bad, um, film guys, you know, the, the, the Wednesday, like the tentpole show, and the newest show, Fake True Stories, we feel like we can kind of consolidate a little bit, uh, allow ourselves to do more movies and not kind of put ourselves in a, in a stranglehold with, with, the, with the content. So we're going to continue to release, you know, probably a couple episodes a week, maybe three sometimes, on things we just want to talk about week to week. So it'll, it'll allow us to do more current-related uh, stuff, you know, when a, a movie release uh, happens that we care about that we want to see. For instance, Cocaine Bear. Uh, I saw it on Thursday. Connor, you saw it uh, on Saturday. That We're recording on Saturday right now. You, you saw it today. And uh, we would do an episode on that movie. You know what I mean? Uh, we want to do more things like that. Kind of be within... Uh, we want to be in touch with what's going on while also still holding on to like those values of talking about the history of film and the stuff that's come from the past. Because that's our true, true passion is talking about stuff we love from the past, you know, and digging into that, that kind of stuff The the, you know, the, you know, like for me, it's, it's, it is these kind of movies, these seventies paranoia movies. And, uh, you know, of course, for a lot of our team members, it's, it's horror movies, it's genre movies, it's doing uh director spotlights, it's doing top fives and more drafts, more kind of inclusive stuff, you know? So it's, I think it's going to be a lot more fun. I think it's going to be a better product for our listeners. Uh, thank you guys for sticking with us, you know? Um, and if you want Oscar related content, we'll fucking give it to you. You know, uh, we have a really cool thing planned for, um, the weekend of, of the actual Oscars, uh, on March 12th, we have a cool thing planned to come out that weekend. And then of course, Connor and I are going to do some sort of recap episode after the Oscars. That's not going away. You know, that, that passion that Connor and I have is as movie lovers for this weird, weird fucking organization that. Is very unfair, but also highlights a lot of cool movies. You know, uh, that's not that's not going away. Uh, beyond the bad, we could still be doing movies that are critically, you know, destroyed and kind of doing our own thing with it. You know, we're we're going to continue to talk about movies. That's that's the whole thing. That's what filmgasm is. It's by movie lovers for movie lovers. You know, that's never never stopping. So the podcast is not ending. We're just kind of getting rid of the the formula we have right now and that we have had for for a long time now yeah i'm going to talk more about this on wednesday's filmgasm which will be the last of that version of filmgasm um but essentially we're taking the best of every show and turning all of that into one stable product that has the best of everything so i'm looking forward to that big time we've got many ideas a lot of big plans and uh i'm it's going to be good for all of us. It's going to help free up our time. We're going to be able to do episodes on stuff we actually care about. 
and not be forced into doing a movie we've already announced. It turns out to suck that we then have to put a, a subpar episode out because nobody cares, which we have done before on every show. <laughs> and that has to, yeah, that's going to stop. Yeah, that's got to go, right? Uh, l- luckily, on this show, there hasn't really ever been a time that I've, you know, uh, walked away from Zoom and walked away from talking to you and being like, that that sucked or that was boring. <laughs> yeah. We always, we always have managed to make something out of even movies we don't like. Um, and that's that's a lot of props to just our our chemistry, what we've built over time, doing this for multiple years now together. We've just kind of figured each other out as far as uh, just trying to have a conversation that that doesn't get doesn't get stale. So, uh, you know, I, I am going to miss some stuff that has happened on this show. You know, we've done over 20 Best Picture Showdowns. Uh, those those have been a lot of fun and have taught us a lot about how many good movies have been nominated and also how many shitty shitty movies have been nominated. Uh, you know, we we don't want to do that to ourselves. We don't want anything to ever be a task. We don't want it to be homework. We want it to be fun. You know what I mean? We're not getting paid for this shit, so we're trying to have fun. You know, uh, that's the ultimate goal. We want good good product and and for us to our team to have fun. So while I think it's taught us a ton. I do think it's time to move on. Uh, and that's Connor and I have been texting the past couple weeks, figuring out like, man, what is it? What is it? Like there's an itch that I can't fucking scratch. And finally, you know, in the same night I was like, Hey man, like when I see you next, I, I, I got some stuff to talk to you about. And then you were like, yeah, me too. And then you were, you texted me and said, I can't wait. I got to just tell you now. <laughs> and so we discussed it. We basically had the exact same idea. We had the exact same idea of, Let's cut, let's kind of cut things back, maybe release overall release less content, but for every episode to be a banger, for every episode to be awesome, kick ass, a fun time for our team. It's going to, it's going to allow Josh to stretch and be more flexible. It's going to allow Caleb to be more flexible, Colton, and definitely, you know, us too. So it's going to be, it's going to be good for everyone. Uh, the, the fake true stories, those aren't going to go anywhere. Those are going to continue to happen. These kind of, uh, historical episodes based on movies that Connor and Isabella have been doing. They're they're Those aren't going to stop. They're probably going to get released on probably Wednesdays, uh, maybe Monday. kind of depends on what, you know, what availability we have and what we're doing that week, but those will continue because those are a lot of fun. They're a great way to learn and, and, and hear about um, two people who know their shit when it comes to these particular movies. So that's never going anywhere. Um, when we do individual movies, we're going to, like Connor said, we're going to kind of, you know, bring everything in, bring it, bring the award side of Oscar Sunday, give movies awards. We're going to bring in some beyond the bad stuff. We're going to bring in some film guys and stuff and kind of make each episode really special. And we're also, again, going to do a lot more drafts, a lot more top fives, a lot more kind of uh, retrospective type type episodes where we get to really hone in on a director, a writer, an actor, and just focus on why we love them, you know, or, or, or dislike them. Yeah. You never know. So yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be great. I am looking forward to talking about China syndrome and figure out uh, how you feel about all the movies you watch. Cause you watched a, a shit ton of 1979 movies for this episode. Yeah. Uh, I did not, I did not do all that research. I'm already in the, I'm already in the headspace where I'm like, let's move on. <laughs> let's just, let's just get this done. But with that being said, I am excited to be here today. Like I want to give one more proper go at Oscar Sunday because this this is 
this has been my baby for a long time and I'm going to treat it right. <laughs> yeah. This you know, we got to send this off with a Viking funeral all the way. And I am yeah. I'm psyched to, you know, do this one last time this way and then just, you know, have a blast every time going forward. It's going to be delightful. Yeah. And that, that may mean that you, we, uh, uh, the listeners may hear your voice less because you're going to be like, Hey, if I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have a thesis to write. So yeah. you know, I got backup now. So thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Correct. You know, we, we got, we got options, right? So it's going to be great. You'll probably hear more from my two older brothers more. Uh, they want to get more involved and they love the idea of kind of making it more of a free for all where we're just kind of like, let's just tackle what we want each week. You know, what's going on right now. Uh, I also, one of my favorite things about this new, uh, you know, formula is we will be able to adapt to real time much better. Um, one of my biggest regrets on Oscar Sunday and on, on our shows in general was our, our show comes out on a Sunday. And if something happens earlier in the week, it's hard to give that proper due. Like when Sydney Poitier died. Last year, I was like, fuck, like we need to be doing lilies of the field now, you know, but we already had all this stuff planned. And then we did it like three weeks later, you know, yeah. and that just didn't feel right. You know what I mean? Um, we, we very rarely ever can adapt in real time. So that's going to st- that's going to get better. You know, we can honor people that have either passed or reached some sort of milestone. We can honor those people in real time and it'll be be much more special, much more, you know, uh, cathartic for us too you know when you get to you get to talk about it when those emotions are still hot and heavy I, I love that so that's gonna be really really neat yeah this is everything we've like every issue we've had with with all of this is getting resolved in the right way and is just allowing the entire team to have more of a, a voice more of a, a say in the stuff we talk about this this you know how we talk about it and that's what i've always wanted I've always wanted a large, you know, group of people all working towards the same thing and just enjoying the ride. Yeah. So, here we go. <laughs> I'm fucking with you, man. I'm with you. Uh, well, let's do this one more time, shall we? <laughs> Why not? The, the fucking China syndrome. So this is, uh, this is directed by uh, James Bridges. Didn't do a whole lot. He directed like eight movies, was a, more of a writer. Uh, this is definitely kind of his, his thing. You know, the China syndrome is his most famous and most popular and most critically acclaimed uh, movie, uh, but you know when you got when you got heavy hitters like Jane Fonda and Jack Lemmon and Michael Douglas, you know this is not their biggest thing. You know, <laughs> I would point to for Jane Fonda. There's a lot of things you can point to. Cabaloo, probably Clute. That's her, like her first Oscar win. People love that movie. Uh, Jack Lemmon, I'd probably point to The Apartment, 1960, for probably his biggest movie, uh, uh, Best Picture winner, and he's just fucking lights out uh, next to Shirley MacLaine in that one. Michael Douglas, that's a tough one. Uh, my Initial thing with most people is they'd probably point to like Wall Street, but for me, it's probably like Fatal Attraction. I don't know. It's tough. If we're talking most recognizable Michael Douglas role, it's probably Wall Street. I think that's what most people would immediately associate him with. But if we're talking personal favorite, it is easily the game. Yeah. Yeah. David Fincher, uh, you know, 90s, 90s gem there. So yeah, I love the game. Uh, Basic Instinct. That's one people people definitely know. Uh, he's he's he, he was really good in Traffic. People like that movie, uh, two thousand Steven Soderbergh. So yeah, he's got a lot. 
I think these days, you know, the younger generations definitely know him from the Ant-Man franchise. Yeah, good for him, right? Staying in the know, staying in staying in the the modern times. Uh, that was a really good, really good choice from him to to be in those. To be in Marvel is like, well, yeah, now you have a another wave of potential fans who are going to go back and watch your earlier work, you know? So I hope, I hope young people do do that. You know, I know I always have with the Marvel movies. It's like, Oh, who's that guy? Let me see what he's done to kind of earn this spot and get this kind of a paycheck. Yeah. I hope people do that too. I'm sure they do. You know, film is film. Art is art. It's all, you know, the ever growing tapestry. So I, you know, I want to learn more about this. I still have never seen wall street. I got it. I got to watch that movie. I'm not a huge fan, but, uh, it is good. It's entertaining. And I did not like the newer one with Shia LaBeouf. Thought it was just it's not very good. But uh, that's that's neither here nor there. Michael Douglas, what he's also very, very famous for is, is being a big time producer, being someone who goes to bat for movies, someone who wants to see, you know, cinema fucking win, you know, throughout his career. Uh, he, you know, is is a big reason why One Flew the Cuckoo's Nest got made. You know, it's one, one yeah. of the reasons that that movie was able to have the budget that it had. And uh, he went to bat for it. was like, Hey, this is, this is, this is a vision. Like we got to go with this it ends up winning best picture against some very, very good competition. In 1975 uh, ends up being one of the only three big five winners of all time. So like, that's really cool. Like that stuff matters. You know, when he, it, it, you know, who he reminds me of is, is Brad Pitt. Like Brad Pitt's kind of the modern uh, Michael Douglas where he's like, let me like put my hand in all these things and help these things get made and kind of give back to the thing that's given me my life. I love that. I agree. Uh, I also, you know, you got to point out that Michael Douglas had a big leg up in Hollywood, you know, being the son of Kirk Douglas definitely had a much easier time being a name, but he definitely used that recognizability for, you know, he used, he used it to help a lot of independent productions be something. And I I don't think he's ever squandered that leg up, which is good. I've always liked Michael Douglas. Yeah, me too. Yeah, he's a good, he's a good, good cat. So he's he's credited with a win for being a producer on One Flew Cuckoo's Nest, and he's also got the best actor in a lead role for Wall Street, nineteen eighty seven. So you know he's a two time Oscar winner. Uh, if you want to look at it that way, you know that's a uh, that's cool stuff for a guy who yeah nowadays is in the Ant Man movies and uh, Jane Fonda, absolute titan just just so easy to watch on the screen she's got so much grace she's so fucking beautiful and has this kind of like badass thing about her where she in real life was kind of living the way her characters lived she was very she was very much uh you know going to different rallies and protests and i i I love that about her i love learning that stuff about her and she's she's still fucking rocking it dude she was just in the movie like last you know a couple weeks ago that's shitty I mean, I haven't seen it, but I imagine it's shitty. The Tom Brady movie. Like, she's still in movies, this lady. Yeah, you got to respect that. You know, in your 80s, still, you know, rocking. I think she was arrested at a protest not too many years ago. It's like yeah. still, you know, sticking to her principles and making content and, you know, believing in, in the process. I, I like that a lot. She's never compromised who she is. And, you know, she also was able to carve out her own identity, you know, similar to Michael Douglas yep. you know, being Henry Fonda's daughter. Sure, it was no walk in the park, you know, a lot of expectations living up to that shadow. But she definitely became her own actor and in many ways outshined her father, I think, in um, at times. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I think I think when you look at 
her resume, you're just kind of like, holy shit. Even if you haven't seen all the movies, you're just like, wow, those are like the those are a lot of very recognizable movies. Um, and when it comes to the Oscars, she's got a nomination. Her first one was uh, for They Shoot Horses, Don't They, 1969. And then she wins uh, a couple years later for her role in Clute. Great, great movie, man. Just like you can talk about that one all day. That's one that I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna do that on the new show. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna figure out a way. I want to do a a paranoia trilogy, you know, with that parallax view and all the presidents men all like in one big badass episode. That'd be so cool. Uh, she was nominated again in 1977 for Julia. Uh, she won her second Oscar in 1978, coming home. Again, a movie we watched for the first time on this show. We got lucky. We both loved it. John Voight is fucking unreal in that movie. Bruce Stern's unreal in that movie. Just great A stuff there. Coming Home is awesome. Hal Ashby, underrated. I'll say that. Uh, then she's nominated again a year later for The China Syndrome, 1979. Kind of the queen of the 70s there, you know. Uh, four nominations in one decade. Two wins. Get the fuck out. You know, people people don't do that anymore. That doesn't happen. Uh, and then she has the nomination 1981. On Golden Pond, Best Actress in a Supporting Role, another movie that we've talked about on this show because we did Chariots of Fire way back when. Shit movie. Uh, on Golden Pond, not shit movie. Very, very good classic. You know, and you got you got uh, the Fonda element, you know, going on in that one. That's that's a good one. Uh, and then her last uh, nomination is 1986, The Morning After. Morning After, I wanted to, like, love that movie because it's her and Jeff Bridges, right? You know, two people I, I absolutely adore admittedly you know it's and it's Sidney Lumet um it's not a great movie you know uh it's really really holding on to the performances of those two it's kind of an absurd movie I'll be honest man like uh I watched it and I was like I'm cool with this because I love these two I could watch these two kind of do anything but uh if you look at the like you know the critics and stuff that the way they react to this movie it's it's not pretty uh rocket a 5.9 on IMDb it's, it's pretty bad for a uh Jane Fonda and Jeff Bridges movie directed by Sidney Lumet. Pretty weird. Oh, absolutely. Sidney Lumet has one of the most exciting filmographies of any director. You know, 12 Angry Men to Before the Devil Knows You're Dead and everything in between. Oh, so great. To hear that he stumbled with Jane Fonda and Jeff Bridges, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. And the the, the like basic premise of the movie, like I loved the beginning of the movie. I was like, oh, this is great. You got Jane Fonda who's like playing an actress who's an alcoholic. Uh, and again, this was a couple years ago, but she like basically wakes up to a guy who's dead and then Jeff Bridges come, becomes involved. I can't remember exactly how that, that like he connects to it, but he becomes involved. And then there's kind of like a, will they, won't they between Bridges and Fonda. And he's like trying to help her figure out like what the fuck happened with this dead guy, you know? Uh, and she's, she's off her rocker, you know, she's fucking drunk as shit and, you know, it's it's worth a watch just because it's like, what is this? Like, how how wild is it that this movie didn't like win a bunch of stuff? <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't like recommend it to just everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah, sounds like a failed Oscar bait. Reminds me a bit of like you know Amsterdam yeah. and Empire of Light. Like you know, sometimes it doesn't you don't impress the right people, and your movie just kind of disappears. Yeah, man, that happens a lot, a lot more than people people realize and you look back uh you look back on like your letterboxd and think about all the movies that you saw there you're like oh that's a shoe-in that's a shoe-in for a couple oscars and then nothing there's nothing you know big fucking goose egg morning after the only nomination it got was jane fonda so yeah love her to death man she's just a 
just a Titan. And like you said, she's in her eighties now. I think she's 85. Like, holy shit. I can't believe she's still in movies and still active and uh, has kind of like a a presence about her still. Um, That's, that's pretty incredible. Uh, Let's, let's talk about, before we get into our words, let's talk about Jack Lemmon. This guy, rest in peace. He died like 20 years ago now. Yeah. 2001. He was 76 years old. There's there's not anybody you can point to that's like Jack Lemmon, you know. He's he's a he's kind of of a a caliber of actor that matches up with the likes of, you know, uh, like a James Stewart. But he's got his own distinct style. He really really plays kind of a paranoid, like freaked out normal dude better than anyone that I've ever seen, you know. I The Apartment is a Tour de force. His his performance in that movie is is incredible. So is Shirley MacLaine, man. Like she's lights out in that movie. Uh, he's got a handful of nominations uh, and one win. Sorry, two wins. Uh, Mr. Roberts, nineteen fifty five, first nomination, also one for that best actor in a supporting role. Uh, then he was alongside uh, the great Marilyn Monroe, uh, Some Like It Hot, nineteen fifty nine. Uh, he was nominated again a year later for The Apartment. Nominated again a couple years later for Days of Wine and Roses, 1962. And then he got his second win for Best Actor in a Lead Role, Save the Tiger, 1973. Uh, and then his last three nominations are China Syndrome, 1979, Tribute, 1980, and Missing, 1982. I've always wanted to see Missing. I'm, I'm, it's one of those 80s movies that I'm like, that's so far up my alley, but I haven't checked it out yet. Um, and Jack Lemmon's one of those guys that I I, I know one day I'm going to do a bunch of homework on him and it's going to pay off and it's going to be, it's going to feel good. Funny that you compared him to Jimmy Stewart because he does feel like a, like a Jimmy Stewart of the seventies, like with that everyman vibe, but without a lot of the hope. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And yeah, China syndrome, especially you feel that just, you know, a guy who's so certain that he's in a position where everything's fine. And then he realizes, no, it's far from fine. And he's at the center of it and he chooses to do something about it. And yeah, Jack Lemmon's just one of those guys who I would trust to make that decision. He does something similar in the apartment where he's trapped, you know, he's trapped in a situation where if he makes the wrong choice, it's going to destroy his life, but he can't sit idly by and let that happen. It's just the kind of characters he played. I always love that until we get to Glengarry Glenn Ross or he's playing kind of a shit. Yeah, but isn't that great? Like he plays against he plays against type in the nineties. You know, his his first Oscar nomination, first win is in nineteen fifty five. Forty years later, he's like, eh, let's have some fun, <laughs> you know. And he, and he's he's alongside you know fucking Pacino and and just uh, that movie uh, that movie's stellar. I can't wait to do that one day, uh, just on our own, whenever the fuck we want to do it. Um, it's just got got so much juice in that one, and I can rewatch it all day. But yeah, Jack Lemmon's the man, you know, uh, he is great in the China syndrome. All three of these, you know, main actors are, uh, last guy I want to mention just cause you and I kind of talked about it over text, how it's just like really interesting. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, I have a feeling it's Wilford Brimley. It's Wilford Brimley, baby. <laughs> <laughs> he plays Ted Spindler in the China syndrome. He's kind of, a uh, Jack Lemmon's uh right-hand man at the nuclear at the power plant and he's got a lot on his shoulders just just like uh just like jack lemon's character does uh whose name is jack jack goodell and man they're kind of their rapport in this movie 
the, like the thing that they have going on where they're clearly really good friends. But Ted's also like, you're fucking you're like, you're, you're, you're freaking out, man. Like, and you need to let me in, you know, like I, I I'm, I'm willing to hear you out, but like, you got to tell me the truth, you know? Uh, and then of course, like his big speech at the end, Ted Spindler, when he's like, he's not a loony, he's the sanest man I know. <laughs> uh, the reason I like to bring him up is because of course, Connor and I, one of our favorite movies of all times, the thing, and he is lights out in the thing. It's one of those supporting performances that I like, will go to bat for any day of the week. Sometimes I think he's my favorite character in the movie. You know, uh, he's it's that kind of a thing. Weirdly, three movies I watched for this episode had people from The Thing in it. Wilford Brimley was in The China Syndrome. Uh, Palmer was in Being There. And Windows was in And Justice for All. <laughs> and it was just... There you go. What? How weird that that would be kind of the Nexus movie of these films. <laughs> yeah, but isn't that great? It's perfect. It's awesome. This this nineteen eighty two just straight up masterpiece, you know, by by Mister Carpenter. Um, yeah, man, I I love Wilfred Brimley. Everything I've seen him in, he's great in The Natural. That's another performance I love by him. I, I'm just I'm really into that dude. Doctor Blair is a character I'm very very fond of. Yeah, I want to come inside. I'm, yeah. I'm okay now. I, I'd like to come back inside. Yeah, it's just uh, the tension. The tension is second to none in the thing. So yeah, Wilford Brimley, rest in peace to him as well. He died just a couple years ago um, in 2020. So three years ago now. What weird. And, uh, you know, he's got a bunch of really cool character actor type performances that will just kind of live on forever through these great movies. Uh, the awards for the China Syndrome. This is going to be fascinating. I'm, I'm curious. I, I know you felt like this movie, um, I want to say in your, re- your review for it, you kind of compared it to uh, Big Short, where there's a lot of you know technical jargon. There's a lot of you know dialogue that's we can't understand. You know we we are kind of thrown into the mix here without um, any you know power plant for dummies book. You know it's just you're supposed to you're supposed to just jump right in, and either you you keep up or you don't. And at times it's like yeah, but like who's supposed to? You know, other times you very much get what's going on. You know, like you understand. Yeah, the thing that thing's fucking wobbly. There's a vibration. They gotta fucking check the screws. They gotta check the welding on that thing. And if they don't, this thing might might fucking blow. You know, you understand that. You understand that these the powers that be, the authorities, are fucking assholes, and they're greedy. You know, they want to just line their pockets. They don't really care about anybody else. They don't care if people get cancer sixty years from now. You know what I mean? They don't care about those repercussions of of radiation and what could happen here. That's why I love this movie. Is that even when I don't understand a lot of the actual dialogue, I get the gist and I understand that these guys suck and Jane Fonda and Michael Douglas get it. They know they suck and they're trying to get Jack Lemmon to admit that they suck. <laughs> that's, that's like the whole premise of the movie. And I, I kind of love that about it, you know? So um, the Quentin Tarantino award, of course, is for the best quote of the movie. The Ennio Morricone award is for the best music moment of the movie. The Philip Seymour Hoffman award is for the best performance of the movie, which there's some competition here and the Roger Deakins award is for the best scene of the movie. Also some competition. Take it away with your Tarantino when you're ready. My, uh, my Tarantino comes from a pretty, a minor character actually. Um, when Michael Douglas has nuclear engineers reviewing the tape of the accident and he hears their thoughts. And one of them says, 
I may be wrong, but I'd say you're lucky to be alive. For that matter, I think we might say the same for the rest of Southern California. Like, man, holy shit. To just drop that with no buildup of like, hey, by the way, you know, if that had blown up, so would half the damn state. It's like, what the fuck? Like, you, you start understanding the gravity of what happened and what could still happen if the wrong people are calling the shots here. And you just understand that, like, they got to do something because no one's paying attention to this, you know, potential catastrophic failure. And you can see the look in Jane Fonda's eyes of like, oh, it's that serious. I didn't realize that. <laughs> and yeah, I just that's for me, like the turning point of when shit starts to get particularly serious. Yeah, and I really like that. I, I like the delivery and I love the implications. <laughs> Yeah, and and they they explain what the title of the movie is. You know, um, I love I love that scene. Those two guys are just like, "What in the fuck?" Like, this needs to be on the news. You know, um, these two scientists who who admit you know what's going on, and it, and it it's so cool because the beginning of the movie, uh, when they go to the power plant just for like a normal news story, and when you see the accident, Jack Lemmon's face says it all. Like he knows deep down somewhere he's like, oh my god! Like we're like we're about to be responsible for one of the greatest disasters of mankind. When Jack uh, Lemon starts getting worried, get worried, because <laughs> he's always just you know ha, funny, charming guy. But when he's like when he's got his worry face on, time to panic. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just a brilliant, brilliant bit. Um, I I love that bit. I love that bit a lot. I I want to go with I want to go with a fucking bang here. It's my last proper Tarantino for this show, so I'm going with a fucking big string of dialogue. One of my it was up for possibly going to be my Deacon, so I wanted to move it over to the to the Tarantino because it it's one of the most intense moments of the movie between our three main characters: uh, Jack, Jack Lemon, Richard, Michael Douglas, and Kimberly Wells, uh, Jane Fonda. So Richard speaking you know between the three of them and he says you know i showed the film to a nuclear engineer you almost uncovered the core mr goodell and kim says mr goodell you lied to me last night we're not going to leave here until you tell us exactly what happened at that plant jack so some anti-nuclear nut tells you we almost uncovered the core but we didn't uncover it did we we stopped in time for one simple reason i told you that the system works god damn it the system works that's not the problem he's clearly panicked <laughs> richard Back to Michael Douglas. If that's not the problem, then what the hell is? Back to Jack. I love that plant. It's been my whole life, you know. And he's 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 now starting to to fucking talk about uh like he's looking forward now. He's like, oh god, this is like this is about to get real. And now he's thinking about his emotions and his feelings about his job, you know. And that's why he says that he does the one of the classic Jack Lemon things where he wipes his fucking forehead with all that sweat. He looks freaked out. And then Kim finally says to him, what is the problem? And Jack admits, the shutter, the damn shutter, the vibration I felt during that turbine trip, it bothered me, but sure didn't bother anybody else. And while I'm checking it, I find that some idiot phonied the welding x-rays. I just cannot believe a man would deliberately falsify the records of a nuclear reactor. My God, Richard, holy shit. Kim, that means the plant's not very safe, is it? Jack, it means that vibration was a warning and that the plant should be shut down. Every one of those welds should be re-x-rayed. Of course, we're talking about millions of dollars, but we don't want to talk about that. And no one will believe me, 
But if they ever put too much pressure on that pump, rupture those pipes, and then Kim interrupts him and says, the China syndrome. And he says, yeah, it's possible. Then you're like, ah, here we go. Jack's on board, baby. <laughs> Let's take him down, you know. Uh, and it's it's just so great because it's it's not, you know, um, it's not people with guns about to go kill some monster. It's not fucking, you know, the army about to like, oh, let's fucking go. It's three people, three real people with everyday lives trying to do the right thing. And that's like so inspiring and so cool. The way Kim and Richard like attack him with words like, dude, like you need to tell us because we're the only people that give a shit. And we'll try to do what we can to get it, you know, to get it fixed, to, you know, figure this thing out so people don't die, you know. And Jack's finally like, you're right. I'm the only one in that room who's going to admit what happened on that day. Ah, And so it's recalling back to the very beginning of the movie. And we finally have a moment that we've been waiting for the whole time where it's those three kind of having a just a nice powwow. And it's a great scene. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, it really showcases their talents, all three of them. And you love to see them get, you know, Jack to open his eyes and realize that this is life or death. This is a this is a make or break human being moment where you have um, you have to decide what kind of person you're going to be. And in that moment, we see Jack make that decision. And it's yeah, it's it's pretty powerful scene. Yeah, it's great. Jack. From that from that point on, Jack is just like on 10. Like, oh my God, like I'm I'm gonna either die or I'm gonna save a bunch of people, you know? And in the end, yeah, shit. Shit hits the fan. Uh the Ennio Morricone Award, best music moment. What do you got? Um, I gave this to to the opening credit song, Somewhere in Between by Stephen Bishop. Dude, such a sick song. Me too. I, I love that. I love that song so much. Yeah, it sets a you know, an interesting tone of kind of like we don't quite know where we're going, but we know that people are going to be a bit wiser on the way out. Yeah. And I like that. It's, you know, this is kind of like a, you know, Willy Wonka's nuclear factory. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's brilliant, man. It's such a cool song. And the, the opening of the movie is so, so impressive. And this is like one of my favorite things about, about these kinds of movies, this kind of technical awareness at the beginning when they're doing the whole news, you know, news thing, you got a bunch of the different monitors and you got the guy who's kind of controlling and he's like, he's all right, Kim, we got, you know, we're rolling in 40 seconds. And she's like, no, I need two minutes. My cameraman's taking a piss. <laughs> and he's like, well, you got 40 seconds. And finally he comes back out from taking a piss with a cigarette in his mouth. And he's like, she's like, come on, like do your job. And then when they do all that, they tell her, oh, hey, you're going to go down the nuclear, you know, the power plant and do this bit for the, for the news. And then the song starts playing. They're fucking rolling down Hollywood and Vine. You see Capitol Records. You're like, oh, we're in L.A., dude. Let's go. And then, uh, you know, they they take clearly a clearly a, a nice, you know, decent decently long trip to the power plants out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, that, you know, they do this. They do this whole bit. So I, I believe it's called the Ventana uh, power plant. And it's a great scene. Great song, like brilliant song. It's I love this kind of music. Where you have, yeah, this kind of, you know, uh, kind of high-pitched voice, but also kind of kicks ass. You know, it's kind of like, it kind of reminds me of Neil Young, you know. And then you got a sick fucking guitar solo, like, at the end of the song. And we're off, you know. It's like a three-minute jam that gets you from point A to point B. Well done, you know, well done. And the movie gets rolling, and I love it from there on out. So I chose the same thing. I think it's, I think it's perfect. 
Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love a good tone setter for an opening song. Like I want to be thrust into this world and told like, this is how you should start to feel like be prepared. Ah, yeah. Kind of vibe. And yeah, I think that song accomplishes it because you just wonder like, okay, Jane Fonda is going to a nuclear plant. This is going to be interesting. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, I'm, this is like, this is my, this is my comfort. Like I'm home when I'm watching these kind of movies. The, that, that decade is just hands down the best at these kind of movies. These kind of just really, really authentic and raw and real type movies about things that happen, that can happen, that will happen, you know? Uh, of course, I mentioned, you know, like Clute, All the President's Men is based on, you know, fact. And I, I just, I love shit like that, you know? It just gets me going. It gets me amped up. And usually the music choices are great. Usually the performances have to be great for it to be worthy of being talked about, you know? So it just kind of hits all the boxes that I'm looking for in, in, in these kind of movies. We didn't have the lily white, you know, <laughs> bullshit of 50s Hollywood. We never would have gotten this endless string of fuck the establishment movies that we just love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just can't get enough of them. So, yeah. Um, good shit, man. This one's going to be good. The Phillips from Hoffman Award. Before you say who it is, is this competition for you? Is there? Is it up to two people, three people? Like, what's your what's your kind of range here? Yeah, this is definitely a, a a three-way contest here between our three leads. I think any of them could take it. I had trouble kind of picking one because everyone's got their standout moment. Uh, but ultimately, I I had to give this to Jack Lemon. I I I chose him as well. I. You know, my my heart was wanting to go with Jane Fonda, but my mind was like, no, man, this is Lemon's movie, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. he's he's being asked to do the most with it with his with actual acting. You know, his character goes through the ringer throughout this movie, and right from the get go, you just have this this uneasiness about him. Like, he's just there's something about him where you like feel like he's about to just fucking fall over. Like he's like you could just. Uh, what's that line in Shawshank where um, Red says, like, a, you know, like he, he talks about how Andy looks like the wind would just blow him over. You know, what I'm talking yeah. about that line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think about that when I see Jack Adele, you know, I, I think about that line when I see Jack Lemon in this movie where it's like, a, you know, I, I think it's like a stiff breeze would just blow the blow the guy right over. You know, I, I've always loved that 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 narration from Red at the beginning of when 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 uh, Andy goes to Shawshank, there's just so many great lines. And I always think about that with certain actors and Jack Lemmon kind of has that about him where it's like, man. And then to see him at the end, like how strong he becomes, you know, it's, it's really cool. Really cool ride. He's, he's fucking excellent in this movie. Totally worth a nomination. Yeah, for sure. He's a, you know, he's a yes, sir. No, sir. Lifer company man. Who's just, you know, working to get his pension and happens to be there on the day that, you know, triggers the worst day of his life. And he, you know, has a come to Jesus moment where he's like, what kind of man am I? Am I the man who can ignore countless safety precautions in a nuclear power plant and just shut up till it's time to retire? Or am I the kind of man who opens his mouth and takes a stand and watching him become that man kind of make the decision of like, you know, constantly wrestling with those, with, with those demons and then in the end, paying for it with his life, it's rewarding. It, he, he really makes this film uh, memorable for me. 
Yeah, I'm in the same boat, man. One of my one of my favorite scenes of his, you know, because obviously a lot of acting is reacting when you're watching someone speak to you. One of my favorite reactions he has in this movie is when it's after the accident. It's after they've kind of had this investigation. They're like, oh, we're good. Everything's fine. You know, we're, it's going to be okay. We're going to get back. Slowly, we're going to get back to where we are. Because the company says every day that they don't, they're not up and running and, and online is what they say. They're losing up like $500,000. So like we have to, like we have to get, get this back and going. I love that moment when Ted comes into his office and he's like, he's, he, he, he kind of wakes Jack up just a little bit. And he's like, well, no, everything's okay. Right. And Ted's like, yeah, well, I was in there for seven hours. Everyone else is in there for, you know, an hour or two. I'm a 25 year company man who has no experience with nuclear, you know, power plants. Who the hell do you think they're going to point the finger at if this goes wrong? And I was like, oh, what a fucking scene, you know, like what a sick piece of dialogue from, from, from Ted. And, and Jack's reaction is just like, says everything. His face, his eyes, just like, oh shit. Like he's right. And he's, he, he's fucking right. And he, you know, that's, that's his buddy. That's the guy he has lunch with every day. And he's worked with for years. Uh, I've always loved a character like that. Who's like uh, working somewhere and the place that buys the, buys the, the property continues to hire that guy because he's just awesome. Cause he just does his job. He's a good dude. And Ted's a good dude. You know uh, he is a company man, and uh, there's something cool about that. Yeah, I do like Ted kind of, you know, also wrestling with the same question. And then it takes Jack's, you know, execution, really, to mm-hmm. wake him up and make him realize, like, yeah, this is fucked. This is not right. They killed my friend. <laughs> and, yeah. they, and they lied to everybody. Uh, for me, the moment that kind of won Jack Lemon the award for me was after he gets shot and he's lying there bleeding out and he just uses his last moments to tell them like, I feel it. Like it's happening right now. <laughs> like we yeah. do something now. The vibration. Yeah. yeah. And he's just, you know, he, he goes out. <sighs> yeah. God damn. The more I talk about this movie, I think I might've been wrong with my initial analysis. <laughs> you, you might've, you, I also probably played it up like, <laughs> you know, a lot. <laughs> I do like I, I adore this movie. It's a nine out of ten type movie, and I, I I've only seen it twice, and I just I just adore it, you know. And I, I, yeah, this is this is just my niche, you know. This is this is my kind of movie for sure. And uh, I do think Jack is the thing you walk away just like, no matter what you feel about the movie, like that guy was fucking good in that. Like he he put in a shift for this movie, um, and he makes he, he makes you curious. He's like, what else has this guy done? You know, it's one of those kind of open opening the door type moments where you're like, what else has Jack Lemmon done like this? I want to see that. I want to see what else he's capable of. Uh, that's that's big for people our age that weren't alive when he was doing his thing in the you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. Like, we need those moments of show us your stuff, show us your juice, prove why you're a you know, eight-time Oscar nominee. Like, prove it. And he proves it in the China Syndrome. Like he proves that. Like that, that name that he has and that stature that he has with movie people, with people like like your your mom and your grandparents who, who they know who Jack Lemon is because he's a, he's a fucking badass. And like my parents, when I told them, oh, I finally watched The Apartment, I finally watched The China Syndrome. My dad's like, oh, those are good movies, you know, like those. That guy's awesome. It's cool to be a part of that conversation. Yeah, I've you know I've kind of rediscovered 
Jack Lemon with this podcast because when I was a kid, I knew him from this movie called My Fellow Americans. Ah, nice. Good call. Yeah. He plays an ex-president alongside James Garner, who are they're trying to get to the White House to prevent the current president, played by Dan Aykroyd, from doing some big scandal. And they were rivals who ran against each other and they've always hated one another and they have to like, you know, put their differences aside to save the nation. And I knew Jack Lemon as this goofy old man. And through this show, you know, I watched The Apartment, The China Syndrome. I'm I'm finding a new side of him that I'd never known before as this highly respected, highly decorated character actor. And it's been incredibly rewarding and very exciting to to find his material. Yeah, man. Yeah. He's he's someone Oscar Sunday, like you said, has given to us. You know, that's like one of the coolest things about this show is there's a class of actors from before our time that we knew about but didn't know about you know and you know jack lemon james stewart burt lancaster like these guys mean a lot more to us now after watching more of their stuff so i'll always be grateful for that because of oscar sunday thank you all right roger deacon's award best scene of the movie here we go what do you got for me this is when hector gets run down by the van Ooh, okay hector what a cool character Yeah, I just, you kind of knew, like, when is somebody going to die to prove that this is a real threat? Like, when is is the nuclear industry going to be like, all right, we got to start assassinating people? And as soon as that van pulls out after Hector, I'm like, oh, he's going to (laughs) die. But the way that unfolds is so, is right out of fucking duel. It's so crazy. Nice. And I love the image of just the van coming up incredibly fast in the back window you might not even notice it at first but if you're looking at that van you're freaking out and it just immediately just you know runs him off the road and we never see that van again (laughs) it was crazy yeah it's an insane scene you you can feel it when he gives him he's giving him the x-rays when jack meets him you know and jack's freaked out He's being followed. So therefore now this guy that he passed these things over to is now being followed. They want those, they want those x-rays. They don't want them to show up to this, you know, council meeting and be able to just destroy the power plant with hey, look at this. The welding is off consistently, you know, uh, it's, it's such a brilliant scene, man. I, I love, I love that scene. And the other, I, I almost chose that. I almost chose the, the scene where Jack, um, approaches the guy who's in charge of signing off the welding and he's like you fucking son of a bitch like you signed off on these and you knew they were fucked and the guy's like they've been good for six years they'll be good for six thousand more like he's just got just got no idea like what the, the gravity of this is and when he finally admits it he's like yeah we gotta we, we gotta end this because like it's my ass and so it just becomes this chain reaction of all these idiots covering their asses because they know they fucked up, you know? Uh, it's, it's so, so good. Uh, but ultimately, the scene I've gone with, that the, it was my favorite scene the first time I watched it. It's my favorite scene the second time I watched it. It was the scene I was waiting for the whole time is the car chase. One of the most, one of the most just kind of raw, natural car chases I've ever seen in a movie. It, it's never ridiculous or over the top. It feels like a guy it feels like that's how I would try to get away from someone chasing me in the car, you know, natural things, turning on actual highways and, you know, making real moves so that you're like, 
I know I need to get away from these guys, but I can't, I, you know, I, I can't do fucking Jason Bourne shit. You know what I mean? I love, I love natural car chases, natural, whatever it is. It, it could be a boat chase, could be a bike chase. I love when it feels like it could happen to you, you know? Um, and Jack Lemon during that scene, it's brilliant when he gets away and then he sees them right next to him and he's like, Oh motherfucker. And he exits right away. And that car is like, <laughs> you know, it's just so good. And then he goes to the actual power plant and fucking comes right up to the gate. And the guys are like, Jesus, Jack, what's your fucking deal? You know? And he pulls in and the other car comes up and is like, and they're like, what the hell is going on here? Little do they know that, you know, this guy's about to get murdered, you know? Um, Incredible. Just incredible stuff. It's one of my, one of my favorite scenes from, from, from the seventies, Jack Lemmon car chase. I'll never forget it. I love later when he tells Kimberly, like I had to go back to the plant because it's the I knew they couldn't get in. Yeah, I yeah. have I'm trapped here. <laughs> we have to do something. Like, oh, I can't imagine being, you know, the guy who finds out about you know the big secret, the guy who's being hunted by you know the bigger fish because oh, you're the only one who can bring it all down. That is a nightmare, and I can't imagine being trapped in that situation. It's one of my favorite things in movies is when it just so happens that this this decade is just full of these kind of like stakeout paranoia, just like, oh, fuck, is that car watching me? Is that car watching me? I, I There's just nothing like it. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, I, I often think of like some of my favorite car scenes are, are from the French Connection. There's so many like brilliantly constructed, choreographed car chases car scenes in that movie and uh i think i i think uh you know the china syndrome was like hey we got we got we got we got something in our bag and it's that one short scene but it is so good um and i yeah i love like like you pointed out that he's trapped there like it all the movie takes a lot of it takes place in that power plant man you know it's like really it's really a honed in and focused on what it wants to say this movie doesn't have like it doesn't have some stupid love story with jane fonda you know like they don't force anything like that where it's like, Oh, she's also in love. And that's like another thing that you have to, like, it, yeah. it really folk. It focuses on the story of this power plant. I love that about it. I was so glad they didn't try to force anything between Fonda and Douglas. I had a feeling they were going in that direction and then it never happened. She's the whole time is just like, you asshole. Why do you keep getting me into these situations? And he's like, because I'm an anarchist, bitch, let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just unforgiving. It's like, yeah, this is who she is. This is who he is. Go with it. <laughs> I, I, I love Michael Douglas in this movie so much because it, it feels like a very real work uh, relationship between a, a woman and a man, a very attractive man and a very attractive woman. There's there, there's this respect, but also this kind of like, I'm going to get you off your ass to do the best work you've ever done for both of them, you know? Yeah. And I, 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 I love that about their relationship. I love when she has to leave uh, and he's like, room B309. And she's like, you better wait for me, motherfucker. And he's like, he's got to be there, <laughs> you know, because the whole time when he steals the film, he's like, I'm in control. Michael Douglas is like, I'm the captain of the ship now. You know, he has one of those moments. And so like throughout the rest of the movie, he's pretty much like, hey, like what I say, what I do is it's going to happen. Like I, that's what goes. And I love he, he's like, I'm going to lure her in to this, you know, this fucking room with these scientists and she's going to see exactly what I've been fucking freaking out about since it happened, you know. Uh, I also love his decision 
to start recording during the accident at the very beginning of the movie. He's just holding the camera right here like a like a football. And he's just, boom, hits record. And she's like, are you recording? And he's like, yes, I am. You know, it's just like a, it's like a little head nod where he's like, you're damn right I'm recording. <laughs> I love how, you know, her boss reacts to all this. First, you know, he's like, you know, I'm, my hands are tied. They'll sue us out of existence if we release that film. But then he's like, you know, find that film. You know, if you got a story, bring me a goddamn story. Just, you know, don't do it the right way. And then in the end, he's like, that was some goddamn good work from her. Like, I, I like yeah. that he's kind of, you know, in her corner the whole time, but can't really talk about that. And plus, he's played by the guy who played Mulder's dad in the X-Files. So the whole time I was like, ah, I, I know him. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Yeah. So that was just that was great. I like that, you know, there's not really any like sexism or anything like it's very much like whoever can do the good work gets rewarded for it. And I love I love that kind of situation. Oh, yeah, it's great. The The end of the movie when she's like tearing up and she still covers the story and, and, and does it really well is so, so cool. Because um, at the end of the day, you know, you got a movie about a power plant, but you initially when you're with Fonda and you're with Douglas, it's a movie about like news. It's a movie about breaking news and like what it takes to go to these locations and do the work yourself. And I love movies like that. I love movies about people that are like like reporters, you know. Uh, like a more modern one, like I love Nightcrawler because it's about getting to the scene first, attacking whatever happened here first, who gets there, who covers it the right way, who gets the best footage, and that's what goes on the TV, and that's what we all see when we're fucking having our, you know, morning coffee, you know, uh, that's we're seeing those people, the work that they do. It's cool. Yeah, I love movies that highlight, you know, kind of the background, like the behind-the-scenes stuff of stuff we just kind of, you know deal with all the time but don't really think about you know what goes into making the news is complex as shit and incredibly like you know timed i mean we think we have you know a, a difficult release schedule holy shit <laughs> yeah, it's around the clock it's 24 7 it's yeah. um it's your life yeah <laughs> yeah this is this represents that very well and also just you know the growing fear of nuclear power at the time and how nobody like civilians just really didn't know anything about that except you know that it was powerful and it was potentially dangerous but other than that it, like nuclear power was a closely guarded secret and this movie showed you a little bit of how you know what would happen if nobody was really paying attention to safety precautions and scared the shit out of people <laughs> understandably yeah. so and then a real incident happened and everything changed after that <sighs> crazy right it's crazy when movies can pre like predict stuff you know and there's a lot of parallels so it's really 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 interesting but also again very very scary oh good stuff man i i enjoyed i enjoyed those awards that was fun hearing kind of you know where we're at we both had lemon we both had the same inyo for the stephen bishop track at the beginning uh you went with the hector car chase i went with the jack lemon car chase you know uh and you went with a nice kind of tight Tarantino that kind of represents the movie and I went with a big dialogue between the main three uh, feel, feels feels right <laughs> yeah totally feels right during the car chase scene I remember thinking like ah oh, so this is why Austin loves this movie yeah because <laughs> I know you love your car chases <laughs> I yeah I do I do love me you know if you know if you know me you know there's nothing like a there's nothing like a a car chase and if you can do a, a fucking bank robbery and a car chase back to back uh, you know you've got me 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm all in. That's, that's why like the town works on me so well. It's cause there's multiple uh, incidents where that happens. Um, let's look at the 52nd Academy Awards. Well, allow, uh, we're going to allow Connor to do some, do some talking on, on, on these categories. Uh, I can't say nearly as much cause he did, he did a lot of work here. I'd already seen a couple of the movies that you, that you watched here for the first time, but most of them I have not seen. Uh, I'm looking forward to kind of hearing your general thoughts on them. Let's start with best art direction slash set decoration. Let's just call it art direction. What are we doing? You know, set decoration. Sounds like a fucking Christmas party. You know, come on. What are we doing? Uh, the winner for art direction is all that jazz. Understandably. Uh, it, it beat a pretty, pretty crazy group here. Uh, beat alien apocalypse. Now the China syndrome and star Trek for me, I have seen all these. I'd give this thing to Alien, this award. Uh, I just think that's why it's lasted so long. I think all that jazz looks really cool and is obviously doing the whole play thing. But Alien, there's some moments there of practicality where you're like, this is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm with you 100%. Alien deserved this one. The structure of Alien, the set, is so, like, you know, Star Wars meets, like, Haunted House kind of, gothic in like horror in space that is really like a unique look even the rest of the alien movies don't look like alien it's very yeah. special and i i think that that should have taken that at least it got visual effects yeah i'm cool with that right you know alien is one of those you look back and you're like why wasn't it up for like 10 oscars it's one of those movies that it's i'd say that and apocalypse now are the ones that are talked about way more than the other the other oscar nominees you know i love kramer's kramer I'll go to bat for that motherfucker any day, but people are just not having conversations about Kramer's Kramer the way they are about Alien and Apocalypse now, and that should matter a little bit, you know. Um, now the last, the other three uh, categories are, are are big time, you know. We'll spend some time on these. I'm gonna definitely allow you to talk about you know a couple of these movies you saw for the first time. Uh, screenplay written directly for the screen, otherwise known as original screenplay. Uh, the win is for Breaking Away. Uh, written by Steve Tesich. We both enjoyed that movie. We did it on the uh, Best Picture Showdown. We both thought, hey, it's a pretty good movie. And I had no idea what it was going to be about, but ended up being pretty solid watch. Uh, Breaking Away beat All That Jazz, written by Robert Allen Arthur and Bob Fosse, and Justice for All, written by Valerie Curtin and Barry Levinson, The China Syndrome, written by Mike Gray, T.S. Cook, and James Bridges, and finally, Manhattan, written by Woody Allen and Marshall Brickman. What do you got? Well, uh, in terms of first-time watches, I watched Injustice for All and Manhattan for this. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to preface by saying that I 100% think that this should have gone to Injustice for All. Totally uh, fair. That is a brilliant courtroom drama and features the most noble character Al Pacino has ever played. And it was so nice to see him play an unrepentant good guy for once. Because he's so, you know, morally gray with most of his characters. This was just a lawyer who just wanted to help people who'd been screwed and got ridiculously screwed himself. It is such a great movie, great character movie, and I, I really recommend that one. I enjoyed that big time. Yeah, solid flick. How about Manhattan? I am, I'm really tired of, of Woody Allen's shtick. Like, yeah, Annie Hall was good, but, you know, maybe stop making it every three years. Like, just old neurotic asshole 
dates much younger woman and nobody around him seems to care. <laughs> it's creepy. And in this movie, you know, she's 17 and in high school and everyone's like, well, you don't have anything in common. Like that's the problem here. And it's, it's weird. And nobody cared. Like it's only the past five or six years. We've really got after Woody Allen for being a creep. And, and like, even then people don't go after him enough, you know? And no. it's like, it's, it's like we hold back like for what? What are we holding back for? This guy's done. Like it's a multiple time thing that he's done here. I don't know. This dude has a shit ton of nominations for writing and directing the same goddamn movie every few years. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of acting like Woody Allen is this genius. He's not. He's a neurotic weirdo who fucked his ex-wife's adopted daughter. And that's pretty much it. His, you know, he's not that funny. He's not that creative. He's not as brilliant as we as we've been led to believe. And all of his movies are pretty much the goddamn same. So there it is. On the final Oscar Sunday, I am finally just giving it to Woody Allen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you we've totally danced are. around it a lot on this show. I'm just doing it now. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm for the most part, I'm, I'm with you. You know, I, I want to say the movies we've talked about on this show. You know, here's Manhattan. Uh, Purple Rose of Cairo is probably the first time we mentioned him. Yeah. Um, Hannah and Her Sisters is something we talked about on the Platoon Best Picture Showdown. Um, we never really talked about Annie Hall because we never did that year because it won Best Picture. Um, I think that's about it. Yeah, he's not a director I want to No, oh, no. I've seen some stuff outside the show, like, you know, Midnight in Paris and Whatever Works. And whatever works, it's just, you know, he just got Larry David to do it instead of himself, which was, it's the same shit. Okay, so so there there's where, like, I, there's, like, an ounce of respect that I have. <sighs> ounce is, is a tough word. There, I have a little bit of respect for Woody Allen as far as his his um, influence. I see a lot of people that I like, including, like, the Seinfelds and the Larry Davids. Yeah. They've ta- they've kind of taken his, his shtick and made it funnier and better. Uh, and, and the kind of everyday life uh, you know, I think Nora Ephron definitely at times was like, oh, I-, I can do that, but I can make it like a little more fun, a little more relatable for for people. You know, I see a lot of Woody Allen type stuff in When Harry Met Sally, including the location of the movie. Yeah. Uh, I do. I do have like a little bit of respect for just kind of the, the influence he had on a generation of writers and directors who were like, hey, I want to tell stories about like normal people who live normal lives and also have like this weird thing going on. Cause a lot of, a lot of families, including my own have some fucking weird history, you know, some twisted, strange history. Like for example, my, my grandma uh, on my, on my dad's side, uh, she, well, I'll start. So my, my grandma's uh, sister. So my great aunt, my great aunt was married to this guy and my grandma started like sleeping with him. Then she married him. So they were both married. Like sisters were married to the same guy. Right. And like, everybody was just like, yeah, it's fine. You know, it's cool. It's great. You know, it's no big deal. And then another one of the sisters also slept with him. You know, this is my, my, uh, my, on my dad's side, I think there was, there was 11 of them altogether. Most of them have passed away now, but I think there was 11 of them, brothers and sisters, three sisters slept with the same guy. Two of them were married to him. That's that's fucking weird, you know. Like that's weird. That's some Woody Allen shit, you know. If you were to ever make a movie about um, some small town in Minnesota, come talk to me. I'll give you some. I'll give you some fucking material, <laughs> you know. Uh, like there, there, there is 
I believe a lot of families have something strange in their history that maybe they don't know about, but it's there. And Woody Allen, it's like he's in it. <laughs> it's like it's like he's like he's got. I'm not talking about weird stuff. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do the weird stuff. It's very bizarre. That's that's an odd story. Um, yeah, they're, they're <laughs> fucked. They're fucked. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're fucked. I don't necessarily like the influence that Woody Allen has had on a generation of writers because it's almost like writers seem to think Woody Allen like has this monopoly on New York. It's like, if you're going to set a rom-com in New York, someone's going to bring up Woody Allen. And I, <laughs> I don't like that. It's like he's New York existed for a long time before that googly eyed asshole got involved. Yes. Yes. And it's, it's just frustrating. Uh, and just, you know, making a movie where he's like 42 sleeping with a 17 year old and everyone's just like, well, can we, you know, can we meet her? Like, are we going to have drinks? And it's like, dude, if one of my friends came to me and said like, yeah, I'm dating this high school girl. I'd be like, get the fuck out of What are you doing? You fucking sick bastard. And we're in our late twenties. Yeah. It's like, yeah, this, this guy's a full ass 42 year old. Yeah. 18 and older or get the fuck away from me. (laughs) Those are the rules. And and even, even then, like if a 42 year old is like, yeah, I just picked up this chick who like was uh, she's a freshman in college. I'd be like, that's a little weird, too. <laughs> and then the movie acts like so he's also I'm going to spoil this fucker because I don't care. Oh, um, no. Spoil, spoil away. Yeah, I don't care. So who cares? He... <laughs> if you haven't seen Manhattan, whatever. Don't see it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he hooks up with Di- with Diane Keaton, who's, you know, his age and they have a good rapport. But and he breaks things off with the 17 year old because he's like, you know, you need to go have life experiences without me. I'm not the answer. And I'm like, oh, okay. So he's actually doing the right thing here. And I'm like, maybe this will get better. No, 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 no. Uh, Diane Keaton leaves him for the guy she was hooking up with before, which was his best friend. And Woody Allen realizes, oh, the woman I truly love, the one I'm going to spend the rest of my life with is that 17 year old. So he goes and finds her again and is like, hey, I'm sorry. I broke things off with you. You are the one I love. And I'm like, are we really doing the, the final act like professor love scene with the with the with the child? Is he really doing this? And yeah, he was. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. So yeah, you know, occasionally, you know, he'll step outside his wheelhouse, do like a blue jasmine or midnight in Paris, which in Purple Rose, which are pretty decent movies, but most of the time it's older fucking creep lusting after younger woman and using like, you know. New York play quotes to try to get her into bed. And I've had enough. Yeah. I'm, I'm also good on it. Don't expect us to ever do a uh, Woody Allen, you know, top five. That ain't happening. Um, we're just, this, we're just not the kind of fans. So they're out there. Those people are out there. It's just not us. Well, very so you get, I'm glad I got to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And justice for all. <laughs> uh, or breaking away. Yeah, which was really good. I really was surprised by Breaking Away. That was a, one of the best coming of age films I've ever seen. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I don't mind not getting the win. You know, I uh, I do think the other four movies, like they have, you know, have good stuff written. There's just wild, great movie stuff and all that jazz. Injustice for All, like you said, is a great courtroom drama where you got like just nitty gritty, solid screenplay. And the China Syndrome has that kind of technical jargon that's like, man, how did they write this? You know, uh, just good stuff. So that's a good, it's a good category. 
Uh, let's see. Next up, I believe we have actress in a leading role. Here we go. I love this group. Um, well, you've seen five of these, and I've seen two. So why don't you take this one away and just kind of talk? Okay. Uh, the winner here was Sally Field in Norma Ray. Amazing film, amazing performance. We've that's one of the best films we've discovered from doing this. Uh, then we had Jill Clayburgh for Starting Over, Jane Fonda for The China Syndrome, Marsha Mason for Chapter Two, and Bette Midler for The Rose. All right. I watched all of these. And um, yeah, this is fun. I, I enjoy doing like this prep work because I get to watch movies I've never heard of or never would have considered. And some of these were great. Uh, so let's start with uh, Jill Clayburgh, Starting Over. Okay. Starting Over is a rom-com starring Burt Reynolds, Jill Clayburgh, and Candace Bergen. Uh, Burt Reynolds is this uh, guy who's trying to make things work with his wife, Candace Bergen, who is leaving him because she wants to be a singer-songwriter despite the fact that she can't fucking sing. And uh, she cheated on him, and he's like, I'm out. And he runs into Jill Clayburg, who's this kindergarten teacher who's really sweet, but also very uh, kind of neurotic and realizes that he's still hung up on his wife. And it's a love triangle movie where he ping pongs between Clayburg and Bergen, and then ultimately ends up with, with Clayburg. So not a lot of substance there. It's pretty much just, you know, I'm like the first person to bring that up on Letterboxd in like 20 years. Yeah. Since Letterboxd was invented. Yeah. Certain movies you're like, really? It's just me. Okay. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't. She was good, but Oscar worthy. I don't think this should be here. It's not an Oscar movie. It's it's a placeholder. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Uh, Jane Fonda, fantastic in the China Syndrome, as we've already established. Uh, Marsha Mason, Chapter Two. This is the one that surprised me the most. Uh, this is free to stream on Tubi, and every time I brought this up to somebody, they're like, Chapter Two of what? So I stopped talking about it. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) this stars James Caan and Marsha Mason. And uh, it was written by Neil Simon about how he fell in love with his wife, who was Marsha Mason. So she's playing herself in a way, which is kind of neat. They would get divorced in 1983, so it didn't work out. I wonder, you know, Neil Simon's chapter three. I wonder if it was better. So. Khan is a recently <laughs> widowed uh, writer who is still very much in love with his wife who died. And he accidentally calls Marsha Mason after his brother wrote her number down on a paper. Like, hey, you should, you know, this, this, this chick's really nice. You should, you should go out with her. And he's like, I'm not ready. But he calls her by accident. And they have a phone conversation that is very charming. They're both very witty and on the same, like, he points out, you know, we speak in the same rhythm, which I thought was a neat line. It's like, huh, that's, that'd be fun. That'd be nice to find. Uh, it, it'd also be cool to hear that from James. Yeah. yeah. And he's playing such a vulnerable character. It's so different than anything else he's done. It's not Sonny Corleone. It's not Walter Hobbs. It's a broken, sad man in mourning trying to find love again. So I was very impressed with James Conn. And Marsha Mason has a fantastic uh, speech at the end because 
they get married on a whim and he realizes I'm betraying the memory of my dead wife. What have I done? And starts being very cold towards Marsha Mason. And she's like, you deserve to be happy. I deserve to be happy. Why are we not happy? Like we can do this together. We need to find a way to work through this. And her speech was inspiring. So I do think she deserves to be here. I like this mm. movie more than I thought I would. And I recommend this. Okay. I, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm always interested in watching James Conn, whether it be, you know, thief or elf, you know, it doesn't really matter. He kind of, he kind of just has me by the heart. So I'll, I'll definitely keep my eye out for that. It's on Tubi, like you said. So maybe one day I'll, I'll, I'll give that a whirl. What about the Rose? The Rose was the hardest film to find here. Uh, this film has been pretty much erased from society. Uh, you can buy the Criterion DVD on Amazon for like 15 to 30 bucks. Or you can do what I did, and that is watch a very blurry version of it on Vimeo, which is a great source of uh, free user uploaded films that we will be using in the future, or at least I will. Uh, the Rose. This was supposed to be a Janis Joplin biopic, but... Bette Midler felt it was too soon. So she and the film's producers and writer and director retooled it into a more generic tale of a rock star and her fall from grace. And Bette Midler was fucking incredible in this. Uh, Beautiful. She's basically playing Janis Joplin. And like even her voice, like her singing voice is like transformed into a variant of Joplin's very bluesy, scratchy tones. And I love that. Uh, it's a very tragic story. I won't spoil this one because I do think you'll really like this. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I thought she was great. I'm glad I got to watch that. I told myself I wasn't going to do all this work if I couldn't get to the Rose because I don't want to do like all but one. So once I found that, it was full steam ahead. Love it. Yeah. But having said that, I still give this to Sally Field by a mile. Wow. Okay. So even with all that, that work. Yeah, so it was great. It was good. Field. It was rewarding. I don't regret any of it, but no one's taking this away from Norma Ray. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, that was. Oh man, that's a good movie. She's a really, really great performance from Sally. Uh, one of her, one of her two wins. Uh, and yeah, man, she just lights out in that. I, I remember thinking the same thing where I was like, I can't imagine anybody taking this away. You know, so I, I believe you. I wholeheartedly believe you. She's just brilliant in that. Her. Her scene when uh, Sally Field, when she's fucking like talking to her husband and she's like throwing the dishes around, you know, and like, cause he's, he's basically like, you're not around anymore to make dinner, you know, oh, what the fuck, you know, and she does, she does that thing that like every great actress can do where she like channels all of this energy that's probably happened in her own real life, you know, Sally Field's so good at that. She's so good at kind of kind of stepping up for women in general it's just like god it's so inspiring so cool she's one of those ladies that uh kind of like connects generations so uh love her love that performance so jane fonda is great but you know it sounds like i got got a couple movies to see here i'll probably skip starting over um yeah i don't know if I'll ever, i don't know if i'll ever watch that unless i'm just itching for burt reynolds but uh the other two sound interesting you know i love james con uh chapter two sounds like an interesting movie and i you know i I prefer movies to be like fictional characters, like when it comes to, you know, doing music or, or whatever. Like, I think, I think the decision for like Tar, I think it was genius to make it a fictional character rather than try to, cause then you got the whole biopic thing going on. Yeah. Then you're like, then you're like, we have to stay true. Otherwise, 
you know, we're not being honest. And, and I'd rather you just do made up shit. They have that, but then they also go ahead and do made up shit anyway. So it's like, yeah. nobody wins. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's like fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. But when you can just do a, you know, a story like tar or the rose and make up your own, you know, reasons of why somebody falls from grace and their mistakes and a lot more creative license and you can surprise people. So yeah, certain times I do like, you know, biopics, but I, I also like just stories. Yeah. There's a reason we like whiplash so much. Yeah. Yes. Lots of, lots of freedom there. Uh, All right. Last category. This is now I've seen all these, you've seen all these. This is going to be fun. This is five dudes that just fucking rock. You know, this is a hall of fame kind of, kind of uh, category here. Uh, Best actor in a lead role. Dustin Hoffman took the win for Kramer versus Kramer. He beat Jack Lemmon for the China Syndrome, Al Pacino for Injustice for All, Roy Scheider for All That Jazz, and Peter Sellers for being there. Man, talk about a group of dudes who can just knock it out of the park whenever they whenever they please. Um, I, I kind of would keep this in Dustin Hoffman's camp, this uh, this statue. But damn, that's competition. Everyone has. Everyone has a word here, you know. You got you got Peter Sellers doing what very few actors can do. Very few in being there. You got Roy Scheider doing what very few actors can do in all that jazz. You got Al Pacino being Al Pacino, total badass, but also the right, you know, a nice guy, a cool guy. Playing his type, but also still has the thing where he's like, I can scream. And you got Jack Lemon doing what Jack Lemon does. And you got Hoffman doing what Hoffman does. It's just like, it's an all-star group here. It's great. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, being there was my first time watch here. And it was not what I expected. I was not expecting everyone in this movie to be a fucking idiot. Yeah, uh, so good. So I, good. Love, I love that. I love, Peter Sellers was fantastic. Um, the idea of just a simple kind of slow gardener and his nonsense being mistaken for wisdom by people with money is hilarious. And I love the idea of like the social contract kicking in and you just not wanting to be the person who thinks he's an idiot. Cause then you look like an idiot. So you don't, nobody wants to be the person who doesn't get the joke. So they're all like, Oh wow, he's brilliant. And then it just escalates from there. And at the end of it, they're like, we got to make this guy the president. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. Are yeah. you kidding me? It was, yeah, I, I was, I was charmed. It was a quirky, creative, funny, weird movie. Uh, so definitely, yeah, check out Being There, y'all, if you, if you can. I think it's, where did I watch that? Paramount Plus, maybe, one, one of them, I don't remember. Yeah, I, yeah, I watched it when we did Come, uh, uh, Coming Home, the Hal Ashby film from a year prior. And I was like, oh, I, I like five easy pieces. I like coming home. Let, let me let me give give uh being there a whirl. And yeah, man, I I was also just kind of blown away by how wacky but feel good it was at the same time. It's the kind of the definition of a dramedy. Yeah. Um, you got you got like really good dramatic scenes, and that most of it is playing for laughs, and it is funny. Uh, great performances across the board. You know, and, and Peter Sellers, man, this is one of the more unique. Oscar nominated roles I've seen in a while. So uh, I was really glad you got to check this out. It's also uh, being referenced in uh, the new newest film by Sam Mendes, uh, Empire of Light. And that scene made me cry, partly because I knew what being there was about, you know? I knew like what it meant for that era, like the late 70s, early 80s. 
And when Olivia Coleman's character sees the movie, it's the first movie she's ever seen all the way through in the theater. I was like, this is cool. This is a cool moment. You know, um, it, it helps when you've seen the product, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, th- I thought that was really neat that she says any film, you know, and he chooses being there. Like it's such a cool, cool choice. Uh, this, yeah, I, I think Peter Sellers might be my second place vote just because like no one else can do this. You know, the character of chance is like, I, Peter Sellers does stuff that's just so fucking out there. Like Al Pacino couldn't do that. <laughs> like I don't know if Peter Sellers could do obviously what Al Pacino does, but Sellers is such a unique skill set. You know, I I just I really respect him. Uh, the more more movies I see with him in it, and you're like, man, this guy's this guy's just damn good. So I, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of I kind of think Hoffman is just doing something here that's really unique, really special. I'll always see it as the thing that defines his career. Um, so I, I, I like to give him the win, but again, Sellers has an argument. Pacino's just fucking amazing in that movie. You pointed out how great of the, how great the dialogue is in that movie and, and Scheider and Lemon. So this is a, this is a tough group. This is guys that we are very familiar with. We both like a lot. It's, it's, it's it makes it hard. Yeah, Absolutely. I do. I'm going to stick with Dustin Hoffman. Um, I just love the character of Ted Kramer. I love the walls he's forced to be backed up against and how he overcomes them. And, you know, for the betterment of his, of his child. And, you know, I remember doing that episode and we both responded heavily to elements of Kramer versus Kramer that hit home. And Dustin Hoffman's a big part of why that hit home. He plays it so fucking raw and real. You believe that he's, you know, a father who doesn't really want to be a father, but has to be and then grows to like to love being a father. And Ugh, I love yeah. that. I'm, I don't want to take anything away from Kramer versus Kramer. That movie stuck with me. Yeah, movie fucking rocks. Marriage story before a marriage story, right? It's just. Um, yeah, that's a 10 out of 10 kind of movie for me. Um, I just I just adore it. I, my favorite scene. From Hoffman and Kramer's Kramer is when he, he realizes how hard it is to do the morning routine. <laughs> he's trying to make coffee. He's trying to make eggs. He's trying to do all these different things, pour the kids some orange juice, you know? And he's like, all this at the same time is kind of hard. My wife was pretty good at this, you know, like, you know, w- women make it so it looks so goddamn easy when they, you know, there's times where my wife will be gone in the morning and I'm like trying to take care of Willow. Right. And I'm like, man, she makes it look so easy. I suck at this. <laughs> this is fucking hard making her breakfast and knowing the right thing to do, right thing to say. And then I don't know where she's like, I have to potty. I'm like, ah, oh, all right. <laughs> you know, it's a, it feels like a million things are happening at once. And I, and I, I don't, I, I'm not fucking Neo. You know, my, my, my wife is Morpheus and Neo at the same time. She's fucking Trinity. She's fucking, you know, everything's in slow motion. She's able to just hear our daughter, every little thing she needs and wants. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, skill, <laughs> skill that I skill that I'm still trying to obtain. But, but my, I, I'm with you. My favorite thing about Ted, my favorite thing about the performance is the growth into the role of being, being a parent. It's so beautiful. Um, kind of dropping his professional life and realizing like, you, 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 fuck you guys, like, fuck you guys. You've had me by the ball since I got hired here. This is more important. This child is more important. If only more parents realize that they should watch, you know, they should watch Kramer's Kramer, learn a thing or two. There's so few films about single dads doing the right thing. And I love yeah. that that movie yeah. 
Meryl Streep is the bad guy. You know, she abandons them and then shows up, you know, after they've gotten co- comfortable with one another and is like, I am one back in. And I'm, I'm with Ted. It's like, you can't do that. You can't just show up again and be like, you know, I want to be mom again. It's like, no, you, you, you lost that right. And yeah, it's hard to, you know, but, you know, I, I get it. It's like the kid needs two parents. To, like, I, I have so many conflicted thoughts about that shit. That's why it's why it's so good, right? Uh, yeah, talk about an intense scene when Hoffman throws the fucking glass against the wall and actually did that, you know, on you know on set live. And Meryl Streep had no idea, and she got fucking glass up in her hair, got it cut her and shit. And she was like, "What the hell was that?" And he's like, "Fucking acting, baby." <laughs> Hoffman was a complete dickhead, you know, on set most of the time during his prime and fucking doing crazy stuff. So I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna praise him for that. But God damn, what a performance, you know, um, he's 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 absolutely lights out. So yeah, this is a great group. This is this, I always remember 1979 for having some some great, great movies nominated. You know, yeah. um, I, do you think the China syndrome should have been up for anything else? Or you think it's kind of like, yeah, it's worth four. And that's about it. I think it's good where it is. Yeah, uh, me too. Me too. I do want to point out real quick, two prophetic things that happened while I was doing the prep. Okay. Uh, one, the the last two movies I did for the prep while we're doing an overhaul of the podcast were called Starting Over and Chapter Two, which is fucking bananas. Yeah, wild. <laughs> and then the other thing happened while I was watching uh, Chapter Two. They go to a symphony, and it's a uh, they're playing a Beethoven piece, and the Beethoven piece they're playing is the original placeholder music i picked for oscar sunday when we first started this whoa that freaked me the fuck out <laughs> yeah they're watching <laughs> are, are are they telling us no don't do it or are they saying yeah this is fine yeah it was chapter two it's like you know what we had such a great time the first time and james Conn has this moment of like you know i told myself what's the worst that could happen if I allow myself to be happy again. And the worst mm. that could happen is I'm happy. And I was like, ah, oh, God, James, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I needed that, Mr. Khan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's really cool, man. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, this is it. You know, this, this is the, we're wrapping up here at the last Oscar Sunday. Um, I want to say, see, on Wednesday, we have our last final you know, a uh, 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 proper film gasm. And I, I, I want to say we're going to have multiple, multiple people on that episode. So that, that'll be cool. Yeah. It's going to be um, myself, Caleb and Colton uh, tackling Freddie versus Jason for our four year anniversary. Seems like the perfect place. What the set. fuck? <laughs> I know. Right. It all worked out so weirdly perfectly. <laughs> and we're just going to send off film gasm proper. And, you know, I'll explain some more facets of what we're going to be doing with the next phase. And, uh, yeah, this is this is exciting. Change is good. Growth is good. And, you know, we've we we're good at this now. We know what we're doing. So it's time to, you know, shake things up. Yeah, that's the main thing is uh, is the confidence we have now compared to, you know, three, four years ago. Is uh, it's a completely different. We're we're different people when it comes to talking about movies, and uh, we feel like this is going to be 
not easier on us and not less of a challenge, if anything, more of a challenge, because we're going to be doing things on the fly. We're going to be doing things week to week. It just will be less, like Connor said at the top of the show, it'll be less of kind of doing those episodes just because we feel like we have to. Uh, we, we've held strong to this schedule. We've had like such discipline about releasing um, you know, Oscar Sunday on Sunday and Film Guys on Wednesday and Beyond the Bat on Friday. We, we've stayed through that for so long that it's like okay we know we're going to release content let's let's uh let's let's get out of the playground a little bit more and have some fun rather than having having it uh so so kind of planned out for all of us so let's let's get a little more creative and this is going to force us it's going to force our hand and I, i can't wait man it's gonna be so much fun so uh i anticipate the first thing you and i will do um under you know kind of our our new chapter two will be uh, something Oscar related. We'll do like a fun episode going into the weekend. We'll do the recap after the Oscars, uh, and then from there, you know, we're just gonna we're just gonna start fucking rolling and doing shit. So I can't wait. We already have stuff planned for you know like John Wick Four and Scream Six. You know these new movies that are gonna come out. We're gonna have fun episodes planned around those. I can't wait, man. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be uh, a jack of all trades here on Filmgasm. So that's what uh, and you you know we're still on the same feed. Uh, you don't have to, you know, you're not going to have to look anywhere else for these these episodes. We're under this Filmgasm Productions feed. It's just moving forward. It's going to be called Filmgasm. That's what it's called. You know, that's going to be, every podcast is going to be film, a Filmgasm podcast. There is no separate shows. So that, I, I can't wait, man. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's perfect. It's exactly, you know, we needed to do all of that so we could do this. That's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, I don't think any of this was a waste of time. None mm-hmm. of it. Even when we were like, oh, man, we got to do She Done Him Wrong. Fuck. It still it forces you to learn and grow and be better at talking about things that you don't even want to talk about sometimes. Just get a little bit uncomfortable. Doing the foreign movies that we've done has pushed us to great heights. You know, doing Woman in the Dunes, you know, Rashomon and, and Ran, like Bicycle Thieves. Like that, that, that stuff mattered. You know, it, it meant something to you and I growing as movie people. And we're now we're just going to. I feel like we've graduated. We're gonna we're gonna fucking run with it. You know, it's it's our time now. Yep. It's been a blast. And I don't regret a single episode. Yeah, straight up, man. So yeah, be on the lookout for more stuff, new stuff. Uh be on the lookout for the last official film guys on Wednesday. Uh follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, check out the site, check out our letterboxed. Uh keep watching movies and we'll see y'all on Wednesday. <laughs>